Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On episode four of the Green Street Hammers podcast, we welcome site writers Jeremiah Carson and Jeff Catlin to talk West Ham's massive Manchester United win and answer Twitter questions before previewing Brighton away. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, thanks for listening and tuning in to the Green Street Hammers podcast. This is episode four. Uh, we are all back and we're all firing on all cylinders after that Manchester United win. Uh, and we have a few more voices than normal here. Scott is here. Scott, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. How you doing? Do- doing well, doing well. And we do have uh, the two other site writers uh, that are with us here, Jeremiah Carson and Jeff Catlin. Jeremiah, Jeff, how you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. How are you? Hey, Fantastic. Good to be here. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we're happy to have everyone on. Finally, it's it's a we're trying to deal with I think four people in three different time zones, uh, including, I mean the, the the North American ones are fine, but Scott throws in the Australian time zone and that messes everything up. But he's making the biggest sacrifice with waking up. I think it's what six in the morning there, six thirty. Yeah, well, so I go up at six to do this, so I'll go off to work. Uh, okay, so uh, first things first, as far as the episode is concerned, we cannot start anywhere else other than at the. Uh, Manchester United match. Uh, I was um, I feigned uh, bravery going into this one, telling Scott that West Ham would win two nil. Uh, I was nervous though, and uh, it ended up turning out all right, guys. What, what's what, let's go to the new guys here first, uh, Jeff. What, what, what are your what was your initial reaction after after seeing that result there? And did you watch the game? Where were you? How did you uh, take it in there? I took it in in my living room like I do almost every single weekend. And yeah, I, I going into the match, I was confident, partly because of the way that we had been playing, but partly because of just the drama and the disarray that's been surrounding Manchester United uh, heading into that match. And throughout the game, I just felt like it was unusual. I felt like at certain points, the, the sides had switched uniforms, and it was really Man U that was playing more like West Ham, and West Ham was playing more like typical Man U. And I wrote this in the recap on the website. I, I just felt like there was really no point where Man U really feel like they took control of the match, maybe a stretch of about 10 minutes in the first half. And then, of course, at the start of the second when they got their goal, you know coming out, two goals down that they were going to put the pressure on on the hammers and they did but outside of those stretches they really were not a threat and and so when we got to the end of the game I thought the result three to one was well deserved I thought it was well earned and I really never thought the game was in doubt Jeremiah anything anything that you uh want to add to that man it was just it's just sheer excitement you know that pass for the third goal from Nobes Ooh. I know it's just most recent in my memory but man what a pretty pass that was and just it's just sheer excitement, like I said, you know, 3-1 win. I predicted a win. I think it was more of just me being excited and, and being a little bold than anything. But, but yeah, what a win. That was a great statement win. It's unfortunate that everything you hear in the papers is about how bad Man U is and not how good we played. It's funny, too, because you mentioned Noble there, and he, and he picked out that pass, which was awesome. But he had several other passes that he made that he just was short of connecting on. Either he didn't time it right or the person he was passing it to wasn't able to connect on it. But he was fantastic throughout the whole match. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and Scott, did you get a chance to watch this, or, or what time was it uh, was it airing out for you? It's not a bad one for me. Uh, time zones at the moment, that was, uh, I think it was a half-nine kickoff in the evening. Uh, so I was actually at uh, the pub where the... Uh, Melbourne Hammers are um, this week uh, to watch that. Uh, unfortunately, in Australia here, it, they had a bigger sporting event, uh, relatively, um, which is the uh, Australian uh, Aussie Rules Football uh, Final, and so it was packed with um, the wrong football fans. Oh no! Uh, which is a bit of a shame. <laughs> However, um, the game itself was crazy. I actually joked when we walked in because uh, I went with a friend. And I said, oh, it'd be funny if we won 3-0 and got Mourinho sacked. Um, <laughs> and 
so far it doesn't seem like we're too far off that. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, United were in massive turmoil, uh, but we played really well. I don't think that there was anything too wrong. I mean, Masawaki was a little bit lax on letting a few crosses in. But apart from that, we re- we looked really good. There were a couple of chances, as um, as you guys were saying, where, where Noble didn't quite get the ball in. Like They were just a sort of beat off. And I think uh, Anderson and Arnautovic had one each way as well, where they did a little interchange around the box and then tried to slip a pass in, and they were just off just off sync there like as a step out from being two other really good chances mm. so this wasn't this wasn't the three the three one win where we were defending 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 and then we had three half chances we played really well we actually took the game to them they looked really flat they didn't know how to deal with us but we dealt with them really well uh there was actually one point in the first half where Lukaku was starting a run on the halfway line. He went around one defender, and I'm like, "Oh no, here he goes. He's uh, he's, he's going to score again, as he always does." And then Diop put in an absolutely sterling challenge, and it was over. And then from then on, right, they hit the post. They had a couple of half chances from crosses. Fabianski played really well. I say you know, we had, we deserved it. There, there was no luck in that. I don't think. Uh, like from my point of view, and I felt a bit bad predicting a draw before the match after watching it because we we outplayed them. Yeah, I can't I can't yeah, disagree I can't. with what you guys are saying at all. There, um, just just want to move to the, the I think the most important part of the match, uh, and Noble was was I think probably the consensus man of the match. And you guys can all give me your thoughts on that too. But uh, the first goal was it offside? Was it not? Even if it was, it's nice as everyone's saying for West Ham to get the the benefit of the doubt on it rather than the other way around. Um, but but Felipe Anderson finally gets his first uh, his first goal in a West Ham uniform, his first Premier League goal. It seemed like it was it was mounting, and it, it's kind of special that it came from from Manchester or came against Manchester United. But uh, did it seem like maybe he was building up to that eventually with his play there? I, th- I think he was. I, I thought that goal was very Dimitri Payet esque, the way he clipped it off his back heel, and it was flashy. Uh, it was a great cross from Zabaleta. When I watched it live, I just didn't think it was offsides. I thought it was close, but I didn't think it was offside. And I, I think a lot of times watching other matches and all the West Ham matches, I think sometimes the the uh, the refs are too quick to put up the flag. And in this particular case, I thought it was the right no call. And, you know, I've been a little bit underwhelmed with Anderson at times so far through the first part of the season. I think he's been hot and cold. There's no doubt about his skill. There's no doubt about his pace. I think for me, he's a little soft on the ball at times. I think he's had to adjust to the way that uh, the Premier League plays rather than Serie A plays. And I think he's learning that and he's getting better and better. And I think the other thing that's helped him is knowing who he's going to be playing with and playing around on the pitch. Um, So I I think that goal was well-deserved. It was great to see. And hopefully that's just the first of several more uh, that he gets this year. Jeremiah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're good. No, I agree. You know, I, offside, onside, not really sure, don't really care. Um, I will <laughs> say that uh, that was uh, usually when I turn on a West Ham game, it's in the morning out here in Colorado, usually in the morning, and I'm not really paying attention in the first couple of minutes because usually we don't start out that fast. But uh, this one kind of kind of caught me off guard. But, yeah, what a what a little flick that was in. And, uh yeah, I think I think finally, you know, and Jeff, you said it, but I think finally he's starting to take players on. He's finally starting to play a little bit different than he did the first four, four, five games. So it's good to see. It's good to see. It was very frustrating the first couple games. I remember a couple different instances where an opposing player would basically run by him and the breeze would knock him over or knock him off the ball. And I just was like, dude, this is not Italy, man. You've got to be tougher than that. And And, you know, to his credit, it's a learning process. Some players come into the to, to the EPL and they adjust right away, and some people never do, and, and some grow into it, and it just takes a little bit of time. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that's a good point. In the in the Liverpool match, uh, it, it was interesting because uh, Naby Keita was was starting his Liverpool career, and, and uh, Anderson was as well. And uh, one of those instances where he kind of got brushed off the ball, Keita came up to him, 50-50 ball, bashed him in the ball, took it, and walked away. He just sort of fell on his ass and, and was looking around and the yep. ref is telling him to get up and the play yep. is already completely gone. It's like, Oh, we're not in Italy anymore. Are we fellas? This is not La Liga. It's not how it rolls here. Exactly. And apparently, so uh, one of the justifications, here's a, here's a tangent for you. One of the justifications for Neymar 
diving all over the pitch when uh, the World Cup was going on, and probably now too, uh, was that Brazilian minor league soccer football, uh, they call everything. The ref's nonstop blowing his whistle. Uh, so apparently it's something in Brazil. So uh, Felipe Anderson's Brazilian. He's sort of uh, kind of, I guess, maybe following in the, the national footsteps there. But he, he's adapted pretty quickly, and he's taken on more dribbles, and he's he's challenging players now, which is awesome to see. But uh Another another person who's coming to life here, and he had this coming out party in his first start against Everton. But Yarmolenko uh, doesn't get credit for a goal, probably rightfully so. But uh, that stutter step to left foot shot that looks like it's going to be something to watch out for, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you you say we've got two wingers now that actually look like they're going to challenge most defenses. Uh, I love the Anderson flick simply because it takes a lot of guts to do that. If you miss that. We're sat on this podcast ribbing him for not just sort of like trying to side foot past the hair at the front post. So it it's a massive call just to do that by instinct. Um, I think you guys are right with the offside onside. I think he's levelish, and it's a case of if you're not sure, you don't raise the flag. We don't have the video ref, and I don't know how they'll do it then. If it will be like if Zavaleta's nose is slightly offside, does that count? Uh, that's something they have to work out, but. Yeah, we scored that goal and we played well from it. Um, but yeah, Yarmolenko's uh, shift to left foot is uh, Robin-esque. Uh, oh. They all measure it. They all look at it and go, I know exactly what he's going to do. But we saw time and time again, he just gets that half a yard and he can whip it around. Um, I mean, I don't know if his right foot is actually real. Uh, it looks like he just avoids it at all points. <laughs> Uh, I mean, even when it's literally right in front of his right foot, he is uh, hitting it with the outside of his left across the across the pitch. Uh, it looks really complicated and a really awkward way to play, uh, but it seems to work for him. So, yeah, I look forward to it. What you hit on there with Yarmolenko is, is, to me, what I've been fascinated about in this early going is, yeah, everybody knows he's going to the left. We know he's going. The opponent knows he's going to the left, and they still can't stop it. And I think where you see there, too, is his size works to his advantage because when he turns the corner and he blocks the bo- uses his body to block the opposing player off the ball, that really creates that space for him. No one wants to get in there and mess with that dude. And I think the size we have up front with him and Arnautovic together is, is you know, intimidating at times. And I, I'm happy you brought up uh, Arnautovic as well because uh, all last season when he was brought on as a striker, uh, he was basically played uh, in a 1-1 one, one, and then everyone else behind that system. So he didn't ever have wingers to play with. He, the most he would have would be Mazuaku coming up the, the side or, or maybe Zabaleta on the other side. But uh, it was mostly balls being played through the middle behind him. Now he has Yarmolenko and Anderson who can both put a nice cross in but also can carry the ball in and are drawing defensive coverage away from him. So it, it, he's got to be licking his chops now, to, uh, chops now, doesn't he? Just having all the support. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think he loves it. Um, I think, you know, no one really has changed their attitude to me coming into the West Ham side in recent memory than Arnautovic. I mean, obviously, we could go back even when he first got here and how he was used by Slavin Bilic and then how he was used by David Moyes, who really kind of opened things up and opened up his eyes. But I love to see his reaction after he scored. I love holding up Carlos Sanchez's shirt. I love the fact that he touches the badge and he goes right to the fans. I mean, he has really been embraced and is approaching cult figure status, I think, with the club supporters right now. He deserves it. I think his attitude's been great, and he doesn't look anything like, at least attitude-wise, with the player that he was at Stoke, which is great for us. And I think it's just someone who's continued to really uh, grow into his role that he has here. When he's worn the captain's armband, he's taken that role seriously. And I just love to see it. I think he's just been a great, great signing over the last two years. Yeah, I think he's the player that we need. You know, we've been kind of lacking that kind of player for a while. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous, you know, when Moyes put him up front. You know, we're going to have another Antonio situation playing somebody out of position. But he's really took that on and really I think he's an even better player now than he was at Stoke or even previously. Totally agree. And yeah, I, I say I think the best thing that Moyes ever did for West Ham was uh, putting Arnautovic up front. Uh, we've signed... I can't remember how many it is how, how many strikers we've signed over the last uh, 10, 15 years. And we've spent more than a million pound a goal for them, this kind of thing. And uh, you're looking at it going, oh, my God. And then the best striker we've had since, well, you know, absolutely ages is a guy that we signed as a winger who was described by the Stoke fans as lazy, as 
like blowing hot and cold and I couldn't disagree with them more at the moment he uh, he seems to have turned his energy from petulance into sort of defiance and that's a really nice trait to see in a player up top he just never gives anything up I mean even for that third goal it comes about because he's chasing the ball and he puts De Gea under pressure and De Gea has to kind of has to punt it long to the left rather than sort of picking out a like an easy pass and that kind of thing just just creates those half chances, those extra chances that you wouldn't get otherwise. Uh, I think he's absolutely brilliant. You know, that's a great point. And I think we talked about we talked about the front three now. We talked a little bit about Noble. When was the last time we could go into a match, certainly against Man U, but any of the top four or six big clubs, or heck, last year, pick another club, where we could say that our top three forwards were better than the opposition. Our midfield three was better than the opposition. And that was the case on Saturday, and that is so rare, and it's so enjoyable to see. Um, and I read somewhere, I forgot who said this, I don't know if it was one of us or somewhere else on the interwebs that said, if you took the, our front three and put them on Man U on Saturday, they would have won the match going away. But that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, so rare. I think that was actually Paul Scholes who said that. Uh, yeah. there, was a, there was a Sky Pundit or something like this. Uh, and so that's, that's huge praise. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I, I think it's well-deserved. And a, a player, I think that that sort of goes under the radar. And I mean, you can you can mix in Zabaleta for this as well because I think he's been uh, a revelation since coming into the team. But we all knew what Zabaleta has done in the past, the teams he's been on, and the performances. I mean, he had the he had the armband on at, at at Manchester City just before coming to West Ham. So we know the caliber of player he is. But I feel like a broken record saying this every single week and on every time I'm on Twitter. But Declan Rice is very, very special. Uh, there's something about this kid where he gets the ball, uh, or he even gets close to the ball. He couldn't. He might not have possession, but he's. I have so much confidence in the, this 19 year old kid to take the ball off of Paul Pogba, turn up field, do, like you know, just just find space and outlet it perfect, outlet the ball perfectly. I mean, if we want to close out this Manchester United talk, can we all just maybe like give a a, a very rewarding pat on the back to Declan Rice for for how terrific he's been. I think that's a great idea and I totally agree with everything you said and you know a lot can be made and has been made about our midfield this season and you know during the signing period over the summer what we're going to do to short up and the questions about Wilshire and Noble being on the same side and what we're going to do when he comes back but right now we know that one of the top three names in the team sheet and it's kind of funny when you talk about our, our starting 11 now, oh, he's the first name on the team sheet. You could say that about Declan Rice, but we have Arnautovic and Anderson and Fabianski and all these players that we have now that we didn't have before. But certainly Declan Rice has earned his spot. I agree. He, he lends a confidence to the side along with a few other players. And he's doing the job week in and week out. He, he's been fantastic. And, you know, I think... Uh, that would be someone that I would be, you know, knock on wood, hate to see go down or hate to see not on the side for whatever reason. Right. I completely agree, you know, and uh, I mean, was he 19? And just, it's fantastic. You know, I don't know what's going on with the contract stuff right now. And I don't know if we're going to get into that later, but just talking about that and we got to sign him, we got to keep him and he's got to be around. He's got to be the next Mark Noble. He's just got to, he, he's got it. And he looks fantastic doing it. I think, I mean, just to me, I always say it, but got to be first name on the team sheet. But how fantastic is it to say, like you were just saying, Jeff, we got all four or five guys that would be first name on the team sheet, where last year we were lucky to find one. Totally. Quite a turnaround. We're feeling good after these last four matches, aren't we, guys? Oh, (laughs) very much so. Doesn't it make you sad, though, when you think about uh, Rice being 19 and then looking at yourself and being like, wow, what was I doing at 19? Let's, yeah, not, let's not talk about that. <laughs> I know what I was not doing at uh, 19. That's for sure. There you go. Uh, I say I, I got upset that, that year on FIFA where you create your own character and then it tells you you have to be younger than you are to like, start. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh, this is gone now. I've lost it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Declan Rice, apparently like, someone said yesterday or today, depending on what time zone you're in, uh, there was a quote from somewhere saying his head's over the, all over the place because of the contract issue. There's an issue with his uh, international career and future. If this is him playing with his head all over the place, imagine what he's going to be like when it's actually settled. <laughs> I mean, he, at the moment, he's 19 years old. He goes home and there's discussions on him on social media about like, him getting a bigger contract, uh, who he could go to if he leaves West Ham. There's Irish people on Twitter giving him grief left right and center about potentially choosing england 
And then he turns up to the West Ham match and decides that Paul Pogba, World Cup winner and like world record fee breaker, is just not worth like, worrying about. And like just just absolutely like Pogba was gone. I worried. Like, I wrote an article before that match about whether we could contain someone like Pogba, who's this kind of just pops up in different places, doesn't particularly hold a position uh, in a conventional sense, and. It just did not trouble our defence uh, between him and Noble. They just they covered it. And I think that there's no better way to to end our Manchester United review than saying our 19 year old player pocketed Paul Pogba. Uh, what we can do next though is is uh, is sit tight and we'll be back in just a second to talk Twitter questions with our Twitter followers. All right, so we're back with Twitter questions here, and we had a, a good turnout for these ones. Uh, it was a, a doubling of the two the week before, so we're up to four now, and, and hopefully eight the, the week after that, and then we're starting to say no to people. Uh, but uh, we'll start off with a with a really good one, a really good question here, and it, it's so uh, typical West Ham, I feel. Uh, but this one comes from John O'Forwood at WTFPL101, uh, and he asks us, why in God's name can we not do things the easy way? Nobody would have batted an eyelid if we had beaten Wolves and Bournemouth, then lost to Chelsea and United. Uh, guys, what, what are we thinking? It, it, this this doesn't even make sense how we're getting points, but uh, is that is that truly the West Ham way, maybe? I think it's the West Ham way, 100%, like you said, Jeff. You know, we, we're going to go out and we're going to play good against the teams that are good, and then we're going to play down. Um, <laughs> that's typical. Hopefully, uh, you know, Pellegrini can come in and, and the mindset can kind of change, and I, I think that 8-0 win the other night uh, before playing Man U might have might have showed that a little bit but yeah that's typical West Ham way to me and it also it goes to show and you know we say that's West Ham way and it's true but you're also talking about the best league in the world and you're going to have games or stretches over the course of this long season where someone's going to surprise somebody else you're going to catch a team at the right time or the wrong time uh, coming up next when we start talking about our trip uh, to Brighton Tomorrow, some are calling that a trap game for West Ham United. Maybe that is the case. But I think there's always uh, those situations that pop up during the course of a long Premier League season where that's going to happen. But when you look at stretches of the game of the season, whether it's a month or two months or before Christmas, when you get down to it, you need points from wherever you can get them, however you can get them. It just seems to be a hell of a lot more sweet when you get them from a club like Man U. Yeah, I mean, if you'd said we had seven points after this many games, I think you'd have looked at it and gone, OK, cool. Um but then we're on when we're on zero after four, um, you're starting to worry. Uh, it's it's an interesting sort of flick of it, but we've it's not been luck kind of thing. We've improved since the international break. Uh, Pellegrini's attitude is very much um, he doesn't really accept that there are games we can't win. Uh, he said after the Chelsea game, like I'm happy with the performance, but I'm disappointed with the result. Um, he wanted to win that game, not a draw. Uh, so yeah, I'm hoping that like the game against Brighton, we're suddenly going. Like, we're not going to switch off. We're not going to have that like sort of lull back into. Oh yeah, we're good. We're a good team. We can just you know pass the ball around and Brighton will now let us win. I mean, they beat Brighton, beaten Man United already this uh, this season, and they beat us twice last season. So I hope we uh, we don't fall into that. But yeah, uh, Jono's question is uh, very much. Uh, something I think a lot of West Ham fans ask themselves over the years. Uh, we've we've uh, surrendered very good positions uh, or seemingly good runs of fixtures and defied the odds. I think we just like we like doing what people don't think we're going to. It, uh, yeah, I totally I totally agree with what you guys are saying there, especially with Brighton coming up too. Uh, it, it can kind of turn the page and and take West Ham to that level of uh, are we going to be this team that plays to our competition or are we going to play to West Ham's level and let everyone else sort of fall where they may after that uh, but I also think it gives a little bit of uh, credit to the maybe not excuse anymore but reality of new players new league new manager time to gel all of those were, were thrown at us through the month of August there and, and, and through the beginning of September but now it kind of makes sense like the, they're starting to click everyone's trusting each other Arnie and uh, Yarmolenko look like they're best friends when they're playing together Declan and Zabaleta look like a father-son combo that's very odd in size, but uh, it's heartwarming. Uh, you know, everything's sort of coming together for the team at the right time. Uh, and I, we'll jump to the next question here. And it's an interesting one because, again, two two important players are coming back. And 
And uh, this one's from Hammers Polls at Hammers Polls. They always put up some some really good quality polls to, to get a good gauging on the audience of West Ham fans on Twitter. But uh, they ask us, where do Lanzini and Carroll fit into the team when fit? Uh, guys, have at it. Well, let me just say, Andy Carroll is one of my favorite topics. Andy Carroll does not fit in this team when he's fit because he's never fit. And when he does come back and he's fit, he just there's no spot for him. Okay, sure, put him on the bench, super sub. You know, you're down a goal late in a match, whatever. He Just to me, Andy Carroll's time at West Ham is over. We've moved on. I'm tired of it. I can't stand the game. Uh, I'm tired of watching this baby mama on Instagram post about her travels around the world with him while he's supposed to be getting healthy and he's he's partying. I'm just tired of the whole Andy Carroll bit, and I just don't think he has a place in the side. Now, the exact opposite opposite of that is Manuel Lanzini. Of course, when he's fully fit and recovered from his ACL tear and he's ready to go, you're going to find a place for him to play. First, probably coming on as a sub uh, there, and then he'll work his way back into the side. And, you know, I hate to say it, but the other part about being a West Ham fan is you know that this club is going to undergo uh, injuries throughout the course of a year. Hopefully, the club is fully fit and, and Lanzini has to earn his spot just like everybody else has. Um, but he certainly belongs in the squad when he's healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think with uh, Lanzini, like you said, I'll start with Lanzini. I'll finish with my boy Andy Carroll. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'll disagree with you on that one. But with Lanzini, um, I think that, you, like you said, we have to find a spot for him. You know, he has done nothing but but good things since he's been here. Obviously, besides getting hurt, but I think at first coming in as a super sub, like you said, and and just kind of finding the spot for him, I think we obviously would have to rearrange the midfield somehow. I don't know right now if you were to come back who I would bench for him because everyone's playing so well. But I think starting him out on the on the bench and, and coming in as needed because you know he's going to be electric like he always is. And then Andy Carroll, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Jeff. I think, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to come in and start um, if he can even play. For more than 10 minutes but uh i just love him you know there's always some a flair electricity about him not really in speed but just his personality um coming out and uh i think obviously putting him on the bench possibly is definitely where he's gonna have to be there's no way he starts right now but i can't believe you don't like andy i just i, I used to and i think you know on all seriousness it's just been such a love-hate relationship over the last mm -hmm. four or five years with him into the club and i mean the bicycle kick against Crystal Palace is awesome. The headed goals in against Chelsea a few years have been fantastic. But when you just look at it from a pure number standpoint of the times that he's been available to play and the times that he hasn't, it's just become so frustrating. And I think it's really unfair to guys that are here week in and week out trying to find their place in the side. And let's be honest, the last time he was fully fit, Marco Arnautovic was not the player that we just spent 10 minutes talking about in the previous segment. So it's a little bit of a different club right now. It's a little bit of a different spot for him. But I think it's just more frustration with him. And I agree with the flair, the attitude, the man bun, all of it, the size, uh, the fact that he played for Liverpool, all those things, There's there's that surrounding him but the fact of the matter is he's not here and he can't be counted on and it just gets to be aware i think not only on supporters like me but i think on on the squad too i don't know that that's just what i think scott any thoughts on the jewel and the man bun uh well i mean like i said i will um i'll, I'll leave andy carroll for a second i think manuel Andini is a special player I, I think uh, you don't get too many players um with his sort of creativity and flair that are coming along and I think if Pellegrini wants to really seriously push West Ham up uh, when he's coming back, he has to start thinking about how to keep uh, put him in the first 11. Uh, I mean, I, if you were to sort of say this 11 we have now is probably uh, is this, is the 11 we'll have when he's fully fit, I'd probably say you can put Obiang, uh, him in where Obiang is. Uh, I think Rice and Noble... Uh, sort of marshal the midfield well. They they keep the, the shape. Uh, they keep the shape of the team. And Obiang, we've seen sort of drifting further forward, uh, assisting Anderson on that side, and uh, also assisting uh, Fran Altovich's goal against Everton. If you put someone like Lanzini in that spot, give him a little bit more freedom to move around. I th I think he's yeah. I think he could well uh, tip us over into. Uh, a real like, top top team, but I mean that's 
who knows what our actual 11 will be by the time he becomes fit again. Uh, we've seen so far it changes quite regularly. Um, we saw it settled at the moment, but we don't know who's going to be injured and who's not going to be injured by that time. Uh, Andy Carroll is... Uh, I think if you wanted to uh, find a topic that divided uh, West Ham fans uh, more than this, you'd have to talk about the stadium, and we're not going to go there. So um, it's... Yeah, he... As an impact player, as a super sub, I, I don't really know who is better. I mean, if if you imagine as a uh, Premier League defender, I don't know if it's a draw or if it's you're winning by one goal and you're thinking, okay, 10, 15 minutes left. And then you see Andy Carroll uh, with the numbers above his head just as, uh, waiting to come on. You're going, oh, come on. I'm tired. I, I don't really want to have to deal with someone who's just going to throw himself around at me. <laughs> He's brilliant in that regards. But is he willing to sign a contract on those basis? On that basis, knowing that we don't want him to play, I don't want to be a team that has Andy Carroll as my first choice striker because yeah. it means reverting to that kind of. We have to hit him. We have to hit that that ball into him because he wins it every time, and he doesn't have the movement like that Arnautovic does, which would allow space for players like Anderson and Yarmolenko to move around in and with him. So, I, I mean, he's a great option to have. If we lost him, I wouldn't... Like, if he basically said, oh, I'm going to go somewhere else and play, like, try and get the first team, I wouldn't begrudge that because every footballer deserves that chance. But I would love to keep him as, like, an impact sub. Yeah, I, uh, I, I couldn't add anything else to what you guys said there. Lanzini forces his way in with time. And, uh, sorry, Jeff, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to make this a three-on-one and say, basically... Carroll, if he if he's fit, he can offer more as a striker than Chicharito can for West Ham for whatever reason. Nobody knows how to get Chicharito to play well. Uh, maybe if you put 300 million pounds worth of players behind him, he'll play better like at Manchester United. Uh, but until that time, we have uh, the Jordi Messi, and uh, we'll take him up top with uh, with his massive headers. Uh, but we'll... Nope. we'll- and I'll and I'll defend this hill uh, for as long as I need to. <laughs> Great. Uh, we'll we'll leave the the line in the sand drawn there, and we'll move on to the next question. And we can sort of compact it with some some news here. But uh, this one is from that guy Blake at heavy underscore sunshine, asking whether we think Chicharito is genuinely sick or not, because he definitely looks fine in his Instagram stories. Uh, it has been uh, revealed through a press conference with Manuel Pellegrini that. Chicharito is now no longer sick with glandular fever, uh, and he is back in in training, but he's not going to be available for selection for the Brighton match. Um, the double-edged sword of social media. We all want to see more from what our players are doing when they're not playing football, but then when they're doing something we don't like, we all run to Twitter to, to shout at them. So uh, it, he, he was sick, right? What, what can we say about that? I think if they say he was sick, he was sick. Yeah, yeah, I don't I think, know. I don't have enough to, to override that. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I think uh, I think West Ham fans are naturally suspicious because like uh, bring harking back to our man Andy Carroll. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we have issues with like uh, there's there there are social media stories that get massive traction, and West Ham fans. I don't know whether we just have that little um, sort of willingness to have this sort of dark side about our team, but we we just love believing rumors that. Um, I mean, like uh, there was this big rumor about that Andy Carroll's injury came from him sneaking back in mm. from drinking on preseason tour. I mean, uh, XWHU employees come out and said that that's rubbish. So, I mean, yeah, but that was a lot more believable. Chicharito not being sick, wasn't it? Knowing Andy yes. Carroll, we can all agree. We, on all, that we all shook our heads when that story came yes. out. Like, come on, Andy. <laughs> but, that, that's what I'm saying is that West Ham fans love to believe stuff like this. I don't know. I I can't say about other fan bases because I'm not part of it. But the thing is for me is that like this combines with the fact that Chicharito has probably sat there and realized that he's not going to be the first choice striker again. Uh, he's joined West Ham at the time thinking he was going to be the first choice or at least in a two up front. And since he's joined, it's been like Bilic has... I, uh, Bilic mismanaged that team at the start of last season. Moyes didn't like him and would never pick... I mean, he literally forced someone up front instead of him uh it worked out really well uh but he he didn't enjoy the type of striker Chicharito was and then he went to the World Cup looked really good ran around uh played this kind of 
free roll striker. We saw him dropping off, um, interacting, but it was the type of football that Mexico played. I'm not sure it's the type of football we play and whether he can force his way back into the team is an interesting one. So maybe people thought, oh, he's just sort of faking it because he wouldn't get in. Uh, but I would, I would, I would suggest he was ill. Uh, glandular fever can really hit you. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, I think we have to trust the the team on this one until there's other uh, other evidence to the contrary. Yeah, I agree with uh, with both of you. You know, if he if they say he's sick, then he's sick. You know, who are we to judge on that? But I think uh, I just don't get Chicharito. I love him. You know, even two was it two three years ago when there was the rumors we were gonna sign him and then we didn't, and then we eventually did, um, like a year or two later. You know, I. I just love, I, I love the man, but I don't get him. I don't get, I, I guess we just play a different style of football and he can't kind of change to that. He, he did. He looked like a different person in the World Cup and then to come back to the same old, same old, it's just, he confuses me. And it may be why it's uh, the best time to move on from him now. We have uh, our first choice striker and if Andy Carroll's fit and can show that he's able to stay fit for more than one match at a time, plus with Lucas Perez there, Zonda Silva will be back, so worst-case scenario, we could call someone up from the under-23s who looks um, like they can at least run and chase down a ball. Uh, it may be the time to cash in and, and start sacking away some money for uh, uh, another prospect or just welcome back Jordan Hugel from loan, but uh, that doesn't seem likely. Uh, <laughs> and don't, don't forget that Antonio played up top, uh, and he's done that before. He did it under Bilic, too, and he mm-hmm. did it uh, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, in that match when, when Arnautovic was not available. And, you know, that's, so that's an option there with Antonio for, I guess, that would be third or maybe fourth choice. But, you know, that's well ahead of the pecking order of Chicharito, probably. I, I agree. And, and the fact that he's able to hold off players and sort of – he definitely doesn't bring the exact same thing that Arnautovic does, but he his play style is a lot more close to that than Chicharito's or Perez's would be, which is probably why he was selected over – Perez uh, for that Chelsea game, I guess, right? Yeah, I think he's, he, offer, he offers the strength and he offers uh, a burst of pace. I mean, his finishing ability leaves a lot to be desired Oof. at times. But, um, yeah, I think you'd rather someone get those chances than not get those chances. Uh, so it's a case of what we kind of stick Antonio up front, hope he sort of uh, strikes the one in five that he makes and um, go from there rather than, as you say, try and adjust our entire playing style for Chicharito. Get the ball in his head and he'll put it in, but with his feet, I got no faith in that guy. Uh, our final question here, it comes from, uh, and I'm probably saying this wrong, uh, so I, I want to I wanna try my best, but the Seagull bloke, at the Seagull bloke, Andy, uh, he asks us, can Reed play left back? And uh, that's a pretty strong indictment on both Mezuaku and Cresswell, <laughs> but uh, it brings up some important questions, I guess. Uh is left back probably the biggest area that we need to improve on in the transfer market? Do you think? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about this before, and I, I don't mind Masuaku as a player going forward. Um, he's good on the ball. He tries some fun stuff when he gets into the attacking half, and I think that's what you need in the Premier League. But we saw against United that uh, the real only real sort of weak link we had was every time Ashley Young got. Uh, one-on-one with Masuaku I was like oh okay the, oh, it was Ashley Young or uh, I can't remember who was there right right winger or right back um, every time he got in there I go okay and he's put a cross in and he's got another one and he's got another one in he uh, just doesn't look like he knows which way to go whether to get closer to him and risk the player going around him or stand off um, to try and block it but he doesn't sort of commit to either uh, it doesn't really um, stop enough. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of two questions in that that sort of jokey question asked there is that Reed um, would probably improve the defensive quality at left back. I don't think he has the mobility for it. But the other thing is he doesn't get back in a centre back at the moment. I mean, Diop and Balbuena have uh, locked those places down. And it feels harsh to say because Reed, uh, Reed's done a lot for the club. Uh, he's been a rock at the back for a long time. I mean, it's just the issue with injuries. He's had. It's just really hard to sort of build a team around him because he's out for half the season. A lot of, um, he's had a number of these injuries, and I really like him as a player. He always gives it all. Uh, he scored the winner at the last game of the Bowling. He's going to be remembered forever for that by West Ham fans. But, yeah, the kind of issue, uh, issue again is like if you're looking at injured players coming back, Reed doesn't go back in the team. 
No, I, I, I agree with that. Sorry. Go ahead there. Uh, sorry, I just was going to say, you know, Tomasa Waku, I, I just thought it was his worst game against Man U. I think he's been really hit or miss this year. I, I like him. I agree with what you said. To me, he looks like a guy who's being coached really, really hard. In other words, what you said was he's kind of caught in between. He doesn't. His instinct is to go forward and to not track back. And I think he's being coached to be more defensively responsible, which is great. That's what he should be. But it's kind of in his head, I think, at times. And, and I like the guy, but I do question why Cresswell's not getting more of a chance. And it's like almost if you could take the best qualities of Cresswell and the best qualities of Arthur and put them together, you would have an awesome left back. But right now, it's almost like Pellegrini is forced to make a choice, although he kind of has made his choice because Masuaku's starting every game. But it's like Cresswell is the quote-unquote more defensive left back. Uh, Masuaku's more of the attacking-minded left back. What do we want? What do we need in the side? Who plays better with Anderson in front of him? And, and so I think that's kind of where the situation is with those guys. But I am curious uh, as to what Cresswell is not doing in training to warrant more of an exposure in, in the league games. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's just uh, the old sticking to the old adage of you're not changing a winning team, so you might as well keep it as it's going now. But even when he gets in the team, I, I think the best bit of play Cresswell's had in the last two seasons was when he uh, had that little chip cross to Perez against Macclesfield, and he hit it on the volley and in. And that looked great, but it it seems like he just can't string together enough strong performances to, to hold down a spot in the team. And let's not forget, you know, Cresswell is it was last summer, but he's coming off uh, an injury, and sometimes it take they players, athletes that, that suffer these injuries, and you know we talked about Lanzini too, and let's hope it happens with him. They come back and they're fit and they're 100%, but they're not fully recovered to the ability that they had before the injury. Sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's physical, um, but it just takes a long time, and and maybe that's the case with Cresswell. You lose confidence, you don't have the ability to do what your body used to do before the injury. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point there and a good spot to jump off on. Uh, we'll be back in just a second here with our Brighton match preview. All right, so up next for West Ham is uh, a travel, uh, a trip rather, south coast to Brighton, uh, a team that not many people have pegged to do much this season, but they're a tough team to play. They're sitting right below West Ham right now on the table. They're in 15th uh, with one win, two draws, and four losses and five points. West Ham have, uh, of course, two wins, one draw, four losses, and seven points. Um, what are, what's our feeling here? Uh, I know Jeremiah and I were talking about the term, uh, the term trap game uh, for this one here. But uh, do we think it's going to be that uh, that banana skin game for West Ham? You know, I I hope not. You know, I made my prediction already, and I'm, I'm flying high right now. I think that we got to come out. I'm thinking, I'm hoping uh, for a three nil, three one type of victory, but. Uh, you're right with Brighton. They made us look silly last year. And uh, I know you're going to get into the Glenn Murray topic in a bit, but he made us look silly too. So I think that uh, we just got to keep pressing ahead. I don't see any changes in the starting 11. I don't think there should be any changes in the starting 11. And uh, like I said before, they just got to keep pressing forward and we cannot let this slip away. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, it's quite nice to actually be going from game to game going, oh yeah, no changes, uh, we'll carry on as we are. Uh, we've actually got a settled lineup. It's not even like we're, I say, uh, we've had issues potentially left-back, but uh, I don't think you put Cresswell in just for that reason because I'm not particularly sure Cresswell is an improvement at the moment. And uh, I think this would be an interesting test. Uh, I mean, the only game Brighton have won this season so far has been against United as well. Um but apart from that, they've struggled. Uh, they haven't looked particularly creative. They score a lot from set pieces. This is a very different team to sort of your Everton, Chelsea, and Man United. These teams, this is a team that will be sensible. They will look to, they will look to exploit any weakness rather than sort of like with Chelsea and Everton. Um, they they basically go, we're going to play this way because we're good enough. Uh, we're going to play like this and we're going to break you down our way. Uh, Brighton will be one of those teams that look week to week how they can hurt you uh, in particular and they'll try and exploit the corners Glenn Murray is always very clever he finds space uh, not necessarily on the first ball but when the ball's been knocked down rebounded he always seems to find that ball uh, in the box and he's a very clever striker uh, so I worry potentially about um, maybe Balbuena and Diop if they're not experienced enough or savvy enough to deal with a player like that I hope they are because they dealt exceptionally well uh, with some top class uh, attacking talent in the recent games 
it's just a different type of attacking threat. And I'm happy you brought up the fact that they are like a sensible team that makes good use of their set pieces. Um, they are, they may be that, but in I think every game except for their Tottenham 2-1 loss, uh, they have scored a goal, at least one, from a penalty. Uh, so Glenn Murray, Glenn Murray scored one uh, against Fulham, and he scored one against Southampton as well here. I'm just pulling these up individually. Uh, yeah, in the 90th minute for both of those. Uh, he they got shut out against Liverpool and Southampton. He scored one against United uh, with a penalty, and there was one more as well. So I think, anyways. But uh, the, sorry, I was actually um, Pascal Gross that that scored it. Anyways, I, I digress on that. But they're a team, I guess, that you have to watch out for because they're late in the game. They're getting into the opposition's box and they're creating these chances. Uh, at least frequently enough to actually cause fouls and, and to cause uh, some late game drama. So again, sensibility is something that has to be on both sides of the ball. Uh, and I'm immediately thinking Mazuaku coming down on top of uh, Theo Walcott's head with a with a curb stomp. Um, limit that maybe. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, to me, this is a game that's going to be rather than team uh, like team focus. It's going to be player focused, and the two. I guess three really are Glenn Murray, who at 35 years old somehow continues to do it. Uh, and is Kierdo. He's coming off a knee injury, played seven minutes against Man City. Uh, who knows if he'll be back in time. Uh, but if he is, watch out because he put two beautiful shots past uh, Joe Hart and Adrian last year. And the third one is uh, Knockart. He's the right mid, right winger, short legs, but boy, do they get moving at a, at a rapid pace when he's going down the wing. So, um, he sort of is their their instigator for all offense. Pascal Gross is confirmed to be out for the match. I'm pretty sure I heard that from uh, their manager. So there's an opportunity here for for them. But uh, also a name that came up when I was doing uh, some uh, World Cup stuff. Uh, Alareza Jahanbakisha. I uh, I would spell it, but there's far too many letters, and we don't have that much time. Uh, he was on <laughs> Iran. He's 25 years old, and I believe he led the Dutch team, uh, the Dutch league in scoring last year. He was picked up in the off season, and uh, he's been used as a as a sub, but uh, really quick, really really good finishing on him. So uh, someone to watch out for in that match as well, and you'll see his name coming uh, down the pitch, I'm sure. But uh, if his Kiedo's in the match, you got to be you got to be careful on that, I assume, right? Yeah, I think uh, you. They've got. A, they definitely got some players that are Premier League quality. Um, whether they're, I say, I think there are a lot of people who think they could uh, struggle this season, but that's no reason to disrespect like them as players. Uh, they've as some of them have really got ability. I think Knockhart's one of those so sort of classic wingers. You'll get down the side um, of your fullback. You'll look to run in between your fullback and centre back as well. Um, and what they do is they just. They apply consistent pressure like for 90 minutes because of the way they play, as you say, like set pieces. They'll force you to commit fouls. They just test your concentration. It's not like uh, when you play United, you go, okay, they've got the ball, they're switching on, and they're going to try some skills here. It's going to be bang, bang, bang through. This is simply they'll, they're happy to sort of throw away, be patient, wait for their chances um, because they know they don't get the same number, the same amount of uh, chance from open play. They know where they're best. And they play like that. I mean, as you say, Ischiedo, um looked last year like he could add some uh, sort of uh, injection of pace and quality. Uh, I think he plays on their left wing. And he does have that ability. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we do have to be careful. Definitely. And I think, too, and I, and I don't ahead, even know if it's... Uh, yeah, sorry. I don't know if it's a... Uh, if it is just us thinking of the West Ham way or if us, us being terrified because of last year. I know both games last year... I'd see Brighton come up on the schedule and be like, okay, this is a, we should win this. And then obviously we know how that turned out. Um, but uh, I think too, you know, just going back on Glenn Murray again, 35, would you say he's 35? Uh, yeah. I, I can't even, I'm not even 35 and I can't do the things that he's doing. So <laughs> I think that uh, just the, just that alone is, uh, is something to watch out for. And they, and, and it is, it's a game that we need. I think too, I heard someone say this week that if we keep winning and if we keep, performing well we West Ham will turn into a team that people are going to start playing up for in a way and uh I don't know if that's how you say that in England we say it here in 
in the states is playing up for because you'll get a team that's maybe not as good playing against a team that's better and they're gonna they're gonna play like it's a championship game so if we do keep winning that's going to be something that's going to happen and that's not necessarily a bad thing but i think as west ham fans sometimes that'll keep us on edge yeah and i think it's also important uh like you said there to to just focus about focus on yourselves if you're west ham for this um start having that big team mentality i think scott you were talking about that where where these these uh, top six teams sort of focus on themselves, and the other teams have to adapt to how they're going to play. West Ham showed uh, they 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 showed against Manchester United that they can hold the ball uh, against elite competition, and United offer a lot more quality wise than Brighton does. So um, hopefully West Ham holds the ball. Hopefully they can do a combination of sort of working the ball around, waiting for those lanes to open up, but also when Brighton does get the ball. And if West Ham can force a turnover, hit them on the counterattack and then sustain play after that. And, and, you know, do instead of just doing one thing well or one thing at a time, combine some things there. Have some people step up, have some players drop back into different positions uh, and sort of worry about yourselves and let Brighton adjust to you. Uh, But hopefully they can't over the uh, over the course of that match there. Any final thoughts here on Brighton? I'm happy that Bonner isn't going to be playing. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> it's not how we dealt with set pieces before, um, and since then we've—I mean, I know Rashford scored from a corner, but that was a very nice finish at the front post. Mm. I can't really fault too many people there, uh, but apart from that, we've looked fairly confident from set pieces. So yeah, I'm—I'm I'm confident going into this game, and one day I say we're going to be confident going into these games, and it's going to backfire. But for the last few weeks, this confidence has, has done well. No, same here just confident and uh you know i just got to keep pushing up my only concern is maybe mazawaku and i think that uh for the time being we got to stick with those 11 so confident game we'll find out yeah and i think that's a good jumping off point for us here uh jeff uh, had to step out uh, a little bit earlier on uh just due to some work complications there but we thank him for coming out there uh and uh jeremiah do you want to do you want to throw your twitter out there for those who don't have it already yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is jcarson underscore 1755. And Scott is at scottyj24. I am at uh, Adam Smith with three eyes. Uh, I blame my parents for giving me the most uh, spot filler name of all time. <laughs> uh, but you can get a hold of all of us at the Green Street Hammers, uh, at Green ST Hammers. Uh, that'll do it for episode four here. We're excited after your Manchester United and even more excited ahead of Brighton. Uh, So come on, you irons, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.